Thanks for joining us on TBD with Tegan and Lee. Tegan, aka Denzel, one take. Okay. Anyway, you need a new. You need a new one. I, I'm. I'm. Should I say Tegan, one take then? Yes, Tegan, one take. There, I can take All that. Right. I can get with that. Today we have a really special guest, Joey Nguyen. Yay! How's it going, everybody? Nope. I had a friend. Well, several people in in uh, middle school. They they say Nguyen, and oh. some people say. Ying, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's tech, you know, I've been given so many different pronunciations and Nguyen is kind of like the, the, the official, official one. So to sort of like make, give it some sort of ownership, I just say win. Like every day I win. So okay. <laughs> all I do is win, win, win. There you <laughs> go. That's good. <laughs> all right. So uh, would you mind giving us a little background about yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I was born and raised in, in, in Boston, and I would say that I've, I've hopped around different neighborhoods, you know, for majority of my life, at least growing up. Um, so I was born in East Boston. Uh, my parents are refugees from the Vietnam War, and, um, you know, I'm the youngest of five. I'm the only son, I'm the, and, like, there's, like, a six-year gap between me and the youngest sister, uh, and from being... Even though I was born in East Boston, my family had moved to Southie um, right afterwards. They lived actually above a bar, uh, and it was a it was an Irish pub, and it was as they described it like it was never a quiet moment, <laughs> as you would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then from Southie, they moved uh, to Dorchester, and then that's where I really spent majority of my teenage years. Um, but then I also like pseudo lived with my Dominican and Puerto Rican best friend in in um, the, the Roxbury neighborhood when I went to middle school, the James P. Timothy Middle School. And so um, and my mom's, you know, uh, owns a, a Chinese fast food restaurant here in Eggleston Square. So it was one of those things where growing up, I always had. Um, you know, I was a latchkey kid, as they call it, where you had the keys of the house and there's like no adult supervision, not maliciously, but because both parents are always working. So, yeah. you you know, you didn't really you had to fend for yourself, cook for yourself, all that stuff. And so by essentially always being with my best friend, Jonathan, um, I was ironically closer to my parents being at the restaurant that they just sort of let me stay with him like almost all the time and his family kind of became like my second family and I end up losing actually my native languages Vietnamese and Chinese and picked up more Dominican Spanish than anything <laughs> else but then now that's sort of defading as well so sadly yeah well, so comp uh, compared to growing up in Dorchester and kind of living in Roxbury kind of like these two neighborhoods what what is it that you find? Did you find you like Dorchester a little more, or do you find some little nuance between each one of them that you kind of? Mm. I would I would say that it would have to depend on uh, at what point in time, like you would ask me that question because now I have a, an appreciation uh, for all of the the different places and the different neighborhoods that that uh, you know um, that Boston has to offer because there's something special about it and whether or not I lived there or not. Um, because there's always a connection with either a friend or a former, you know, partner, things of that nature. Um, but I would say, um, you know, Dorchester is unique because it's, it's like, like one of the largest neighborhoods in Boston and so is Roxbury. So by that definition, you're going to get like a large amount of 
diversity. Um, but I also know that there's not a lot of uh, Vietnamese Americans uh, uh, in Roxbury as opposed to Dorchester. Mm, yeah. But after learning about you know the history as to why that is, um, and sort of seeing how it all connects with the other communities in there, um, you know, it allows me to appreciate you know why there aren't you know Vietnamese Americans in Roxbury, but in Dorchester, and then vice versa. Why are there large amounts of you know different pockets of um, you know, Caribbean communities in Roxbury and uh, other, you know, uh, you know, populations here. Um, and it, it, it would just depend on um, what you would ask, what part of it do I like, but, be- you know, best, not better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I grew up in Dorchester and I felt like Dorchester was like a homey town where you, you could live in. I always find Roxbury as of a pass through where, you go there and then oh, things will just shut down after a while. It's just it's just because it's so connected mm. to the highway. So right. it's like it's the streets are wider and it's everybody's always moving to go. So like you you come in from one neighborhood to go to the highway and other places are moving in and just, it's it's like a cross section. It's like having full corner street and Roxbury is that corner street. Right. Yeah. And 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 it's funny that you mentioned that because. From what I've sort of learned, it also is one of the reasons why Roxbury, in in a strange sense, gets neglected in in, in that manner. Where why we ha- there's like large food deserts in in, in the neighborhood, and um, sort of why no, nobody want, makes Roxbury the destination to be in mm-hmm. yeah. for recreation, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's it's because one mainly it's a largely residential area that people sort of just cut through. But on the other hand, it's also, in my opinion, it's like because they're, it's easy to neglect, quote unquote, um, these particular communities of color because um, you don't want to invest in these kinds of uh, areas to make it your destination. I find it, I find that really weird, though, right, because Roxbury is literally the geographic center of Boston. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why not? And it's very close to downtown. It's so easy to make it. A destination. I guess for a while, like they called the Southwest Quarter, which is right near Roxbury Crossing. They were going to make a highway there, so literally this would have been like a mm. through to go from a residential neighborhood like Dorchester to the highway. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Nah, son." So now it's the <laughs> <laughs> now it's the Southwest Corridor, and you have you know one of the first like one one of the first separations between the sidewalk and a bike path, right? Because they yeah. were like, "Well, we carved out all this space, and we have this you know big three way." three-lane street um and now we have this extra space and they were like oh guess we'll throw that in there and now the rest of the city's like just throwing you know bike lanes in the street because they're crazy <laughs> yeah they throw bike lanes and it shrinks the street down it, and oh my gosh and it's I, not even that it's just not safe it's not safe <laughs> it, boston wants to get with the whole you know trendy like we're gonna you know move towards the future but they just they're i don't know if we have a city planner obviously we there's a job description for it but i don't know if we actually have one because like just throwing a bike lane in the middle of the street is not like an effective manner to do that right <laughs> Well, in my time at City Hall, I, I've had, you know, many, many um, collaborative projects with the Boston Transportation Department. So I could tell you for a fact that there are people who deliberately think about these and that's their like main job. And they almost obsessively think of those things. Really? I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, guys, guys. Think, I get it. <laughs> yeah, but, but remember, it doesn't mean that, you know, it can't be siloed. And that's where mm. sort of 
the conversation about whenever there's some sort of change that happens in the community, in the neighborhood, um, the effort to sort of uh, bring in everybody, every stakeholder mm. uh, to communicate and talk about these things. I, I would say they try, mm -hmm. but they definitely don't have the competency and the the type of communication style that, especially in communities like Mattapan, Dorchester, Roxbury, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Rozzy too. Um, they don't they don't necessarily uh, make a comprehensive approach when it comes to these kinds of changes. It's more of like, here's what we propose to change. Any objections? Okay, cool. And then they just go for it. But the issue sometimes isn't just that they want to change something. It's just like what the, the impl implementation of the change, right? So um, the Casey Bridge, the Casey Passover near Forest Hills, right? Mm -hmm. So the, it, they kept doing these weird like portioning off of it and everything. And then finally they were like, well, we did a lot of studies and we said we figured out if we took it down, it'd be better. I was like, first of all, I know you're lying because <laughs> they just added a bunch of lights. And I was like, how can there's already a lot of traffic? How can adding lights help alleviate the traffic? It's not. You guys just didn't want to spend the money to fix the bridge because you you built it 50 years ago. And then 55 years later, you were like, well, let's look at it and see if it's OK. <laughs> you know, and I know that's what happened. Yeah. And so that's that's the issue here. So it's like. You want to have bike lanes? Cool. I, I guess now in on Com Ave, mm -hmm. they're actually building like a little mini sidewalk, and then the bike lane is going to be between the the real sidewalk and this little mini sidewalk thing. Yeah, right? I like that. A lot exactly. Better, yeah. And so the thing is, before though, they were like, well, you know, bikes are so healthy, and you had, you know, there's a turnover or like a slight migration in the beginning, right before what we would coin gentrification, and they were like, well, more people are biking. How can we keep them safe? And they were like, well, we're just going to put this bike lane and people will respect it. And I'm like, people don't respect, like, other cars. Why would they respect a person? You know Clearly I mean? that person has not met a real Boston driver. Right? We have no consideration. And if you want something, you have to take yeah. it. No. We're called yeah. mass holes for a reason. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't think it, that'll the sidewalk will work everywhere because a lot of yeah. the streets are smaller. Yeah. Correct. And most of the times I'm seeing bikers, they don't uh, – um, follow the street lights or the laws as if you were a, a, a car. So yep. if it's a red light for the cars. It's, a, it's supposedly a red light for the bike as well. Mm -hmm. But the bike will go forward yep. thinking yeah. like they, they have a they're pedestrian. Yeah, they don't use the little hand signals either. So like they just cut through traffic and I'm like, that's how you die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And just going back to when you worked in City Hall, mm -hmm. um, I know you meant uh, you, it's, you were working... I think he's working with youth in Boston. Yeah, so I worked for the youth department under um, Boston Centers for Youth and Families, and it just recently just became, a, uh, not acquired, but uh, shifted under um, BCYF. And um, I was uh, the community manager for the Youth Lead the Change program. So it's a wonderful program. It's actually, at the time, it was the first, but it, it, it was also the only youth-only participatory budgeting process for the entire country. That meant that youth in this particular area, specifically Boston, Boston Metro, get to decide how to spend a million dollars of the city's money every single year. And um, that same year that I worked there, Seattle just had launched theirs. In fact, we so I sort of like advised a couple of folks out uh, from there to refine their process so they can learn from our best practices and what mistakes and you know what what things didn't go well um, and and they had a successful first year as well okay. and 
was that a particular area where they would like say only transportation or was it so citywide they say mm. in all, throughout all departments or all the services we provide you say we have a million dollar budget see where you could uh where best fit to help us uh i don't know if that's yeah yeah that's a great question so it's actually it's capital it's in capital investment and um so it basically had no limitations but to help young people sort of get ideas as to what it could be used for. We help them with specific categories based on the departments that exist in City Hall. So um, what we did was we casted a wide net at the beginning of the process. We asked anyone and everybody, it doesn't have to be a young person, to pitch an idea as to how, you know, what idea could help Boston improve itself. And we would gather all these dares, we collect all these dares. And when I did the the sort of like the demographic, like the um the the analysis of where these ideas were coming, we got some ideas from like as far as Japan, um, like I guess a Bostonian moved or something, and an expat <laughs> wanted to vote for something, so they threw they pitched an idea. So we got like over two thousand something ideas, wow. a laundry list of them. And then I had the help of the mayor's youth council, which is like eighty plus you know, young people who have been selected to represent their neighborhoods in Boston um, go and they essentially sort out all these different ideas into these different departments or categories. And then from there, they split off into different committees to then discuss, okay, what uh, what specific ideas would be best to implement? Um, and so it wasn't just one idea gets a million dollars. It's we're going to put a bunch of the best ideas that we think that would help our city on a ballot and then let any young person vote on what they would want to to help the city of Boston. So, for example, uh, uh, BPS and all community centers uh, got free Wi-Fi, wicked free Wi-Fi, because of one kid, uh, one kid, and I'm not going to name who it is, but he's from uh, BLS, and every single year he would pitch, he would submit this idea and everyone selected his idea and then his idea always got the highest amount of votes because <laughs> it first started off with free Wi-Fi at all Boston public schools. Boom. You know all, all young people are going to vote yeah, for that. They're like, oh, I don't have to use my data? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Second year, uh, he expanded it to all the community centers. Boom. That won the most votes. The third one was um, installing what's called SUFAs. SUFAs is a company that makes bench park, uh, like uh, bus stop benches and like little um, bus stop kiosks that provides free Wi-Fi and charging for folks who are just what? waiting for the bus. That's a great idea. Exactly. I love it. And so, boom, that one got the highest amount. No brainer, right? Uh, young people love their Wi-Fi <laughs> and their and their cell phones. So. Um, it's a, it's, 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 that's, that was like not a surprise, but also it only costed cause when, cause when we do this process, we also teach the young people the whole process behind how does, uh, taxpayer money get spent. And it's not just arbitrary. It's not just everyone sits on like a mountain of gold and go, huh, make it rain in this department. (laughs) Um, we teach them about project management project, uh, you know, selection of vendors, really, really advanced stuff that, you know, you would only learn if you were like in a, you know, a project manager track at college. Right, exactly. And this is experience that they learn first and foremost uh, through this process. And um, they get to see through that that whole, whole way through. And then the amounts are placed on the ballot. So they know how much 
each of these projects cost. So the SUFAs was like only like a quarter of a million to populate all of the Dudley air Dudley area and all of the bus routes that are the ones that like see like very little train, um, mm. very little like train, uh, basically train access. So yeah. you're talking Rosendale, you're talking um, uh, Hyde Park, especially Hyde Park. And then, um, you know, and then like the Dudley Square area that leads out to that area, the Forest Hill area mm, that leads mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. to those areas. And so um, I haven't seen what progress uh, that has seen since, but mm. I know for sure that was like one of the top ones. Other projects could be like renovating school gyms to, um, uh, oh, another thing that got implemented was you've noticed in Boston Common, they now have more blue uh, safety beacons to mm. call the police. Yeah. That was a Youth Leave the Change project. Oh. Before the blue bikes came in, we had the um, New Balance bikes, yeah. right? Yeah. They vo- they put in 130, I think $130,000 to bring those bikes to the more residential uh, neighborhoods because you saw them in the downtown areas and all the the, the the fun places, but you didn't see them in practical places like residential neighborhoods. That yeah. is actually really interesting because like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, look, some more gentrification. Exactly. <laughs> right? But it's nice to know that someone was like, that yeah, actually, it'd be great actually, to have them. That actually makes sense to bring it into the neighborhoods because yeah. mm-hmm. you have the people who are trying to get into the city or go to downtown instead of trying to find a way to get to bus or train. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, also, I'm going to just throw this out there as devil av- devil's advocate that we do live in Boston and it's cold here nine months out of yeah. out of 12. So for the most part, not going to be riding those bikes in the Seriously. winter. <laughs> Seriously. But well, I do like the, to have that option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think um, spending spend a year in the AmeriCorps um, kind of was that before you went you served in Boston and didn't help assist Seattle? No, that was after. So after uh, I after I left City Hall, I decided to serve a year in an AmeriCorps program called Massachusetts Promise Fellowship, and it's actually probably, in my opinion, the best AmeriCorps program you could do in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I was actually hosted with a nonprofit called uh, Quincy uh, Asian Resources Incorporated, and I managed their Youth Service Corps. So I was in charge of three hundred plus high school youth in all of the South Shore and some from Boston area and um, created a leadership program where they pretty much plan, design, recruit, and execute a service project, be it, you know, uh, cleaning up the Charles River to um, uh, teaching elderly folks uh, in their own native languages how to use technology um, to, um, you know, running one of the largest uh, cultural festivals in all of Quincy, um, and that was the August Moon Festival or the Lunar New Year Festival. And so, um, the irony is that that festival got voted as the like the best festival in Boston. It's not even in Boston, <laughs> and, and we got voted as the best one. So that was cool. Um, but yeah, it's it's it though that the city hall job and the service in AmeriCorps is the overlying theme and and the overlying message is that. You know, young people have so much potential and so much power and so much abilities, but because of ageism, we kind of make them think that they're just not ready. And especially with this idea of like, you know, this like what you picture in your mind as what a teenager is like is like this angsty teen that's always on their phone, (laughs) which is 
half true, yeah. but at the same time, uh, they're just not given the opportunity to be able to make decisions, to be able to yeah. um, maximize their potential. And my job was just to show them the way. I yeah. feel like culturally, <laughs> I feel like culturally in America, like we don't teach our children how to be adults. Like I learned that when I went and studied abroad and I was like, you know, there were kids from like Germany, um, France, Finland, and I met this girl from Finland, and she's like, yeah, like, when I go home, like, I'm gonna get my apartment, and I was like, oh, really? At the time, I was 21, so I was like, yeah, sure, but she was like, yeah, like, my older sister moved out when she was 15, and I'm like, what? And that's that's normal in other countries, but in America, it's like, you're, you're a child until you're not a child, right? And then you're supposed to adult, but they don't, like, teach you the things you need to do to be an adult. Like, I can't even adult right exactly, now. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, and I keep telling, because I was like, you're never actually an adult. Like, it's really weird to consider yourself an adult right because it's like they don't teach you accounting or like financing in school and right. these are classes they used to have right mm -hmm, they used to teach you mm -hmm. how to adult yeah. they don't teach you how to do those things and then it's like you're 18 you're still kind of a kid right and then you're 21 and now it's like well you're an adult you have to pay bills get a credit card do those things i was like Wait, what and there's there are so many videos and buzzfeed always does like my favorite videos but there's a video about it's mostly about girls towards their moms but it's like it's like oh mom what's credit can i have your credit can we share credit can you <laughs> you know it's like what is that stuff like if no one's there to explain it to you you can't do it so that's why i really like those programs that you did because it's hard to to do those things when no one's ever expressed it to you. It's it's one to visually watch your parents sit down and like write out bills and you know with the calculator and all that stuff but yeah. you don't actually actively know what's going on. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I have a master's in education and everyone just tells me like so are you going to teach in a public school or yeah. a school system and I just <laughs> thought about it and it's like but what they teach isn't really I mean yes it is going no. to be uh, a piece of knowledge that could or may or may not be helpful for them in their in their you know careers if they go into this field or lays the foundation for them academically um, but nine times out of ten like the thing that I want to teach young people or just people in general is to just be good people mm. and to be able to survive in this crazy crazy world mm. we live in and it just gets crazier and it gets faster and faster yeah and you just get left behind if you don't learn it quick or somebody has taught you from a generational standpoint yeah. and i know a lot of young people growing up with in you know families of color and in and, and, and immigrant statuses and refugee statuses and uh, you know from places that that have language barriers, that's even more of an uphill battle for mm -hmm. them, let alone, you know, just your average, you know, young person in the city. Yeah. Yeah. I wish someone had taught me in school how to how to, you know, unclog a pipe or something. You know, it's something I could use. Like they're always like a lot of older people are like, oh, younger people aren't buying houses. And I'm like, A, houses are crazy expensive. B, there are a lot of upkeep and no one tells you that. They're like, go buy a house. Houses are a lot of work. Yeah. I I think so Looking back and say when you read in history and you go back and see, pe kids who were 15 years old were moving towards becoming like politicians, trying to be uh, teachers and doctors. Like John Keats, he dies at 25, but he he was very well accomplished. He already um, graduated. Like he had so he went to college when he was very young, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now we're we're in a we're in a situation where a lot of vocation not vocational schools are being in place but instead of putting vocational schools where people could learn tangible skills or be able to at least do something we're trying we're moving towards um uh what's 
this, the, like specialization or yeah. siloing a person to just do one thing one and thing, one yeah. thing well. And they're always yeah. like non, um, I guess you call blue collar jobs, non-vocational things, even though like for the most part, it doesn't matter how smart you are. I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg can't fix his own car. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he can't build a table. And you know what I mean? But the, the, or, the or idea Elon Musk it. can't even fix his own Tesla. <laughs> exactly. Probably, right? And that that's the issue is that in America, we they keep pushing that, oh, we're so smart. We're making all these innovations. We're going forward. And it's like, okay, cool. But how far forward are we going to go without leaving all these other things behind? It's like everyone can't be a millionaire, right? I don't know why a lot of people feel that way. It's like, it's kind of like uh, someone said it to me yesterday, so it's been on my mind. They were like, every time like an older black person is talking about like black people, they're like, we were kings and queens. And I'm like, and farmers, you know, and, you know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. paper salesmen, you know, yeah. like we were, Those were kings and queens are exceptions. Exactly. Still. And it's always going to be an exception, no matter what your ethnicity is. Right. Because everyone can't be a king or queen because like we'd all be ruling five, you know, five by five squares yeah. of land. So it's like, yeah. teach people to be normal people. And if you become exceptional, cool. Like that was your drive to be exceptional. I think in America, we just don't know how to be content. And so the idea is that you have to strive to be number one but they can only really be one number one it's just it's really really strange i yeah. think i'm sure i'm trying to th- i'm trying to think of the type of school like i'm blanking right now but what it's is like it? um the, the type of schools that are opening now it's um a pilot charter uh, yes mm-hmm. i think we should just stop those stop putting those schools in place and when i say vocational school i don't just mean you do um electricians and all that you could add those into it but other things that involves technology that will help. Not necessarily every everybody can't be a coder, um, but you could be people who who work on things. So you have um, robots, people, you kids who learn robots. And I yeah. think we should do have field trips into um, companies. Let's say instead of having summer school the regular way, you just have summer school where kids experience like. Apply. High school, middle school, yeah. they experience. That's actually a really good idea. I think they should learn how to apply the it, thing they failed in. It's like, okay, well, you didn't pay attention in this class. Well, this is what this math goes towards. or this is Yeah, that's a good idea. Because yeah, it, it really broadens your horizon because a lot of times when you're in school, you really don't know what you want to do. And when, because you, you, you won't know anything unless, you, you can't know anything unless you know something. So you can't ask questions if you don't know no, the questions the, to ask. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. totally true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I say that the my first comment would be just sort of uh, as a as a uh, a response to sort of the comment about like you know not having pilot schools and uh, and whatnot. I would say that uh, pilot schools in particular are actually the the space in which the public school system can actually experiment with. Um, new cutting edge kind of ways in which the, the education system can run. Mm. So, for example, my sister is a, a teacher at the BTU, the Boston Teacher Union School, and they, they don't have a principal. They actually have a system where it runs like, you know, a democratic process where everybody gets together and they all decide how to move forward. Um, and then they have people who rotate in leadership so that everyone gets a taste of that experience of what that higher level administrative stuff um, is like, and they share the responsibilities, and then they quickly learn they don't want to do that stuff. They just want to <laughs> teach. Um, my sister's very been vocal about that. Um, she loved it in terms of a learning experience, but yeah, she would rather much teach. And so, 
Um, so pilot schools is is sort of like that 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 kind of like um, opportunity for for being able to 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 bring our education system to the next level. And some of the stuff that does work well does get implemented school wide. So the things we take for granted probably started in a pilot school. Mm. Um, charter schools whole different territory. <laughs> There's a big debate about that. Mm. I don't know if you want to even go into that. But again, my you know I I could if uh, if you want to entertain that but then there's the vocational school yeah there are um, I would say less of that and I would say in general across the board it doesn't have to be a specialized school you can have a well comp you know diverse comprehensive education you know um, you know curriculum for young people to to be able to be you know, um, self-sufficient, well-rounded, and then w aware of what's out there and what yeah. possibilities are out there. Uh, the problem is, is always the the two things: is that one, funding, and then two, the way we've designed, you know, education systems right now is siloed. So therefore, by the very nature, you're going to make siloed classes. Therefore, the children in those classes will then be siloed to think. I just got to do algebra well, and then somehow that's going to, like, make me learn how to cook. <laughs> You've been listening to TBD with Tegan and Lee. Ooh. And Joey. Don't forget Joey. Joey's right there. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye.